Here. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, Feliz Navidad. <laughs> it's hard to believe um, this year moved so quickly. It's hard to believe that uh, many of you are here this morning. It tells me about your evening plans and what it maybe doesn't include for some. It is uh, indeed wonderful to see another year. Um, God has been incredibly good to us as a family, as, a, as individual families, but also as a church family. And <clears throat> it is uh, my pleasure, it is a privilege to always proclaim God's word. Um, but in particular, this morning, as we look at uh, this sermon series that we'll have just for three weeks, um, and we'll be talking about this whole idea of refocusing, and as you are very, very accustomed, uh, most gym owners love January, <laughs> right? Uh, those who uh, are dietitians love January, right? Because everyone says, hey, this is the plan for this year. I'm going to lose X amount of weight. Uh, I'm going to accomplish this goal, and I need whatever to help me, which usually includes some monetary gift to that entity that you are considering, whatever it is, right? I, I am going to focus, take my focus off this, and I'm going to set it on, on that, so to speak. And what I want to talk about this morning, it really is, is something that I pray um, isn't absent even from my own life, as you will hear discussed, uh, because it can happen to anyone. We can lose our focus as Christians, and we can lose it and focus on things that are, that are good. Uh, we can focus on things that, that are important. But I would suggest to you that they're not the most important thing. Um, they're not the thing that brings God the most glory. And what I pray that we can look at this morning as we refocus and look up to, to God, that we're able to see some rather clear, clear pictures of who he is, the incalculable glory of God. I'm praying that as we look up and see God, that he will radically, radically change our thinking and change our lives in such a way that really doesn't bring just this temporary February, I've already forgot about the decision that I made January 1st kind of idea, right? Isn't that what happens? Um, we, we make a decision, I'm going to read through the Bible in a year and I'll, I'll start today, but by February, it's lost. I'm, I'm going to make a commitment to this study or to that study, and by February or March, it's lost. I would suggest to you that we have, and even me in particular, on sermons such as this in the last 20 years of preaching, have always been on, been on this is what you should do. That this is the decision you should make in regards to your actions. I, I was even challenged, and especially in light of when you have financial struggles, and I know about you guys, I was inundated with all the Christian ministry partners up until last night. This is your last chance to give. I was like, no, I'm pretty sure if the Lord lets me wake up tomorrow, I can still give tomorrow. But there's this whole idea that you want to start the new year out when you've struggled in the previous year with finances. Man, hit them with that finance sermon. Make a commitment to the Lord financially. And I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing for some ministries, but that's just not where I am this morning. 
I would suggest to you, as opposed to focusing on what we should do, maybe we should focus on who God is. And I want to ask you a question this morning. If I were to ask you, and you could fill in the blank with any known star, do, do you know X, Tom Brady or whomever, but, but, but you fill in the blank. And most of us would say, yeah, I, I know that person. No, in most cases, whoever that blank was for you, you know about them. You don't actually know them. And I would suggest to you that there are some people in this room who, who are believers and they know about God, but they don't truly, truly know God. And in a world as fallen, as depraved as we see, it's very easy to get focused on other things as opposed to God. And even maybe this year, we, we did maybe some things for God, but did we really grow in our intimacy towards knowing God? When we're confronted with so much disappointment, so many difficult things in our lives, we're difficult in relationships and difficulties in employment, our careers aren't going where we want them to go, our relationships aren't going where we want them to go. Maybe we've been hurt this past year and we've got distracted. Our focus has been on something other than knowing God. Well, what happens? What should we do when all humanity has failed us? At least we feel like that. When the situations have weighed us down so much that we've taken our focus on, off God, what should we do? Look to him. I love these words at the end of Job. Remember Job's story. Uh, remember that God steps in after his three friends who often get a bad rap, but they do one thing that's very good. They spend time with their brother who's hurting. Now, they don't have the best theology, so God has, God has to step in and say, let's have a discussion, Job. This is what Job says at the end of that discussion, and this is what I pray you will experience through God's word at the end of this sermon. I have heard of you by hearing of ear, he says in chapter 42, verse 5, but now my eyes see you. See, Job says there's a difference. I've heard about you, but now I see you. My prayer is this morning that we move from knowing about God to actually seeing God, knowing God. Blackaby would say experiencing God. Amen. That it would move beyond just the things that we do for God, but to actually knowing the true and living God. That's my prayer. I love this quote by J.I. Packer in Knowing God. If you don't or haven't read Knowing God, stop the presses. I'll give you an opportunity today. Go to Amazon right now. 10% for me, of course. No, I'm just kidding. Order that book. Borrow it from me. I think I have two copies. He says this. Once you become aware that the main business that you are here for is to know God, most of life's problems fall into place of their own accord. The main thing in life, the main thing is knowing God, understanding who God is. I love our Article 3 in our Articles of Faith. It says this about God. There is but one living and true God, eminent, transcendent, infinite being and perfection, pure spirit, invisible, immutable, eternal, almighty, all wise, most holy, most free, most loving, most gracious, most merciful, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth, forgiving wickedness. Did you hear that? Forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin, the rewarder of all them who diligently seek him, and with most just and terrible in his judgment, hating all sin, he will by no means clear the guilty. He is most free, most loving, most holy, most gracious, most merciful. 
We serve a good God. He is a good God to know. He is a good God who seeks to know you. By the way, brothers and sisters, and Nick is going to do a much better job of this when he studies this in Sunday school, the incommunicable and communicable attributes of God. That's a little plug for my brother, by the way, in his Sunday school class. <laughs> this is only an introductory to what he is going to get to do in eight weeks. I'm jealous. Of who God is. And understanding that if God is to be known, the only way we can come to know God is if God is choosing to reveal himself to us. It's by grace, brothers and sisters, in other words. Even general revelation will not give us an understanding, a true knowledge of who God is. We can see his power. We can see some of his attributes. But actually knowing God, intimacy with God cannot be known through general revelation, only through God's word. And he chooses to open our eyes to see that. He has shown himself. That's what Job is experiencing. Despite all life's difficulties, God has shown himself to me in this whirlwind. And I, he, he, he calls him, I, I love this early in the verse, in verse 3, Therefore I've declared that which I did not understand, things too wonderful which I did not know. Through his circumstances of life, he came to know God in a deeper, more intimate way. And he says, it's wonderful news, despite the difficulties of life. So knowing God, brothers and sisters, is huge. I love how Piper says this. In the church, our view of God is so small instead of huge, so marginal instead of crucial, so vague instead of clear, so impotent instead of all-determining, and so uninspiring instead of ravishing that the responsibility to live to the glory of God is a thought without content. Content. The words can come out of our mouths, but ask the average Christian to tell you what they know about the glory of, God, glory of this God that they are going to live for, and the answer will not be long. Who is God? If you were to describe who God is, what does it mean to know God? Piper suggests that most people don't really understand what that is. We know what it means because it's what, based on what I do. I've got to do this. No, that's not my question what you do. Who is God? Who is this God that we serve? That we Come on, we get up on a, on, a, on a Sunday morning when everybody else is sleeping in because they hung out last night or whatever the case may be, maybe doing good things. We come out of each Sunday morning to do this, to serve a God. Well, who is he? Who is this God that you're serving? Piper suggested most Christians have no intimacy, no true knowledge of who this God is. Psalm 9, verse 10. And those who know your name will put their trust in you. Knowing God is at a premium. Refocusing on God is what we are called to do. One commentator says, if God makes little impact in the lives of Christians, if our churches are not wonderfully heavy with the felt presence of God, is God being glorified in us? We need to start over again. We need to rediscover God. The adjustments would be much more worth it because his glory is all our happiness. He is saying and suggesting, and Piper does a great job of this, he is saying that we are most satisfied, we are most blissfully happy. Hedonism is found when we have this intimacy with God. But isn't that radically different than what the world tells us? Everything else makes us happy except God. Or you use God as an add-on. If I have God and this, 
Piper would suggest this quote suggests that just having God, glorifying God, having intimacy with God is what we need, is what we should seek. So here's our, our verse I want us to think through. And if I were to ask you before I put this verse up, what should we boast in? You, most of us would probably say, we shouldn't boast in anything. We are called to humility. And I would say, that's not what the Bible teaches. Jeremiah 9, thus says the Lord, let not a wise man boast in his wisdom. Uh, we, could, we could do that. There's some wise folks around our world. Let not a mighty man boast of his might. I mean, there's some powerful men and women in this world that they could boast in their stuff. Let not a rich man boast of his riches. Okay, I understand. We shouldn't boast of any of those things. So what should we boast in, Jeremiah? But let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and what? Knows me. Uh, we boast in a lot of things, but how many times have you met a person that says, I'm boasting in, I know the God of the universe, and the God of the universe knows me. That's what I'm boasting in. He who spoke all we know, see, and think into existence by the mere breath, by his mere breath, knows me. That's what I boast in. I am known of that God. Nothing else. Notice how God says what it means to know him are the attributes that are associated with knowing him. I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth. For I delight in these things, declares the Lord. God reveals himself in such a way that his characteristics or his attributes are displayed. We learn about him based on what he does. Who he says he is as he reveals himself, right? Moses at the burning bush. Who shall I tell them that sent me? I am who I am. That's my name. And what I'm going to do is going to be worked out in that name. The working out of that name is going to be deliverance, care, compassion, mercy, at least on the people of Israel. The New International Dictionary of the New Testament theology says to know means to enter into a personal relationship with he himself makes possible. That's what it means to know God, that God has made it so possible that we can know him. Hosea 6, verse 6, for I delight in loyalty rather than sacrifice and in knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. What is our knowledge of God like? What is their understanding of who God is like? And you may say, okay, David, these are all Old Testament passages that I understand from the nation of Israel who was very intimate with Yahweh and Yahweh with the people. I can understand how you get this. If you got your Bible, turn with me quickly before we go to Isaiah 40 to John 17 and what's considered the high priestly prayer. I want you to notice what Jesus says on this whole idea of knowing and the value of knowing. Verse 1 Jesus spoke these things and lifting up his eyes to heaven, and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that the son may glorify you. Notice this in verse 2. Even as you gave him all authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. This is eternal life, that they may what? Know you. What? Eternal life is knowing. Part of knowing is eternal life, and eternal life is knowing God, understanding who God is. All right, so I did all that introduction, 
to talk about the value of knowing God, not knowing about God. So Isaiah 40, let's go there. This will be the balance of our time this morning. Now, those of you who are with us last week, we talked about that Isaiah is called or considered a, what's a pre-exilic prophet. In other words, he's a prophet before the exile. Some would call him a gloom and doom kind of prophet. In other words, he is saying, Israel, you have been so incredibly wicked, judgment's coming. And he has said that throughout. And what's, what's always interesting, and it's really fascinating, if you've ever studied Isaiah, uh, last I checked, there are three different authors now. For When I started studying in college, there was only two authors for Isaiah. Now there's three. And you may say, well, what's that all about? What do you mean by that? Because people can't understand how the kind of change in language, the trajectory of Isaiah's focus seems to change throughout these um, 66 uh, chapters. So they'll say, okay, this part was due to, you know, Isaiah 1. This was Isaiah, this was the Isaiah number 2. And this, this last section seems to be Isaiah 3. I'm just, okay, how do, you, how do you come up with that one? I have no clue. But we know that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he will have a different focus on different areas. And in this particular section, which is rather fascinating, in chapter 39, we won't go through all of it, it's told that the Babylonian exile is going to come. And those of us who have studied our Old Testament history know in 586, the Babylonians did come in and destroy Jerusalem and take off survivors into captivity. And we, they might have said, where is this God? Where have we been? You gave us plenty of promises, God. What in the world has happened? If you look quickly in chapter 40 at verse 27, we get an idea of what they're thinking. Why do you say, O Jacob, and assert, O Israel, this is their thinking, my way is hidden from the Lord, and the justice due me escapes the notice of my God. In other words, God, where are you? By the way, if you go through the Psalms, you see that the Bible is a very real book. And what I mean by that, there are real people dealing with real issues, and there are constant questions on, God, where are you, and what are you doing? Have you abandoned me? God, can you not hear me? Do you not understand my plight? King David goes through that, doesn't he? Our Savior went through that. Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. Where are you? Very real, very personal. These people are hurting. Their focus is shifted. This life is going to be hard. And then God steps in in chapter 40. We were not going to go through all of it. We're only going to highlight verse, start in verse 12. And in verse 12, we see... A few things I want to highlight for you regarding who God is and what it means to know God. And what is amazing to me about this section, God says, hey, I'm, I'm going to care for you. I'm going to take care of you. Remember, the Babylonian captivity is not going to last forever. I'm going to draw you back. I'm going to bring you back. Remember, if you study Daniel, you understand that. Daniel understands that, hey, we're going to come back. But before he tells him what he's going to do, he tells him who he is. Why, would we, why is he telling them who he is? What is that supposed to do for the people? Help them trust him more. As you see my glory, as you see who I am, it should cause you to trust me. That I am not going to forsake you. I am not going to leave you. You can have hope in me. Look at verse 12. And we're just going to go through some of this, and it's rather interesting. So we first see the wisdom of God in verses 12 through 14. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, and marked off the heavens 
by the span and calculated the dust of the earth by the measure and weighed the mountains in a balance and the hills in a pair of scales. Who has directed the spirit of the Lord or who has his counselor informed him? With whom did he give consult and who gave him understanding and who taught him in the path of justice, taught him knowledge and informed him of the way of understanding? God, in other words, is saying, who has taught me anything? Who has come near me that I might be in need of anyone to give me counsel? God, in his omniscience, knows everything, everything that's possible, everything that's actual, all events, creatures, past, present, and future, God knows. He is perfectly acquainted with every detail of life and every being in heaven and out of heaven. Everything from the smallest ant to the largest animal on this planet to every human being, everything that happens, God is intimately aware of. That's how smart he is. That's your God who is all wise, all knowing. You know, God's never going to learn anything new and he's never going to forget anything. God is the definition of wisdom. All knowing. Now that's hard for us, hard for me to wrap my mind around that. Why? Because I'm finite and I'm trying to understand the infinite. And they're asking these questions. God is, God is asking the people these questions. And, and what's the answer? Who has wisdom like me? Nobody. Isn't that what Daniel and Daniel 2.22 comes to an understanding? It is he who reveals the profound and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and light dwells with him. Nothing escapes his notice. Nothing can be hidden from him. Again, nothing is forgotten by him. I pray that we say with the psalmist in Psalm 139 verse 6, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain it. His knowledge is perfect. He never errs. He never changes. He never overlooks anything. How great is this God? How wonderful this being that we call and refer to as God, Yahweh, the Lord. This God knows it all. His, his wonderful attributes that we see here ought to bring us to our knees and say, that God desires audience with me. Because if God was pretty wise, and he is, why did he choose a dude like me? Why did he call people like us into his kingdom? You ever look around this? Look at this seedy bunch you're around. Man, we got some sinners in here. <laughs> Thank you. Amen. But God called us all in his own wisdom, knowing what we do, knowing what we be, knowing what we say, knowing what we think, yet he called us to himself. God is wonderful. How often do we meditate on the wisdom of God? This is what I'm talking about, to know God, to try to understand his wisdom. God knows everything. Nothing takes him by surprise. That's our God. Not only is this God wise, the greatness of God in verses 15 through 17. Behold, the nations are like a drop from the bucket and are regarded as a speck of dust on the scales. Behold, he lifts up the islands like fine dust. Even Lebanon is not enough to burn, nor its beast enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are regarded by him as less than nothing and meaningless. 
we look and examine the kingdoms of this earth and we get so fearful, we get so awestruck by them. Maybe we sing their accolades and we sing their praises. Look at how great they are. Look at how wonderful they are. Well, to God, what does it say? They're, they're nothing. They're a speck of dust, like a drop from the bucket. He says, even if these nations could go to Lebanon is where they got the, the wood to build, part of the wood to build the temple. It's not enough to burn it's not enough to give me true praise. All these nations are nothing before him because God is so great. There is none like God in his kingdom. God said, that's my greatness and I'm your God, Israel. I am the one that you can call and turn to. Exodus 15, 11 says, who is like you among the gods, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in praises, working wonders? Have we ever seen a God like our God? If you start to compare the gods that other religions teach, there is truly none like a Drives me crazy. Drives me crazy when we do that. That coexist sticker, I saw if I wouldn't get arrested. <laughs> want to pull. The, you say, boy, I got that on my car. Better get out of here before he leaves. I so want to take it off as if they're all equal. You've never read about the God of the Bible. If you think he's anything like the other gods that other religions proclaim to be their God, he is nothing like that. There is none like our God. And by the way, there were local deities. There were other deities around that the nations were worshiping. And they would have sworn that our God, man, he's the God. But remember, their deities were localized. They acknowledged that there were other gods who did their thing. This is God over this, God over love, God over war. Man, there's all these localized gods. None of those gods are real gods at all. I am the only true God, majestic in holiness. Jeremiah 32, 17. Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for you. That's your God. Don't we get discouraged? Oh, I don't know if God can do this. What God are you talking about? Nothing is too difficult for him. Nothing is outside his power if he chooses to do it. With men, things are impossible. But with God, all things are possible. We don't live like that, do we? Do we communicate like that? Go with me. I'm going to preach this morning, man. I'm not worried about that clock. So some of y'all saying amen. Others are saying, oh, Lord, help me. Psalm, Psalm 33. Psalm 33. Thank you, brother. Get that on tape, you guys. Psalm 33. Psalm 33, verse 6. I mean, we're talking about God here. We can't put a time limit on God. Well, you say, you're not God, brother. So, um, 33, verse 6. Psalm 33, verse 6. Listen to this. Look at the greatness of God. Just underline in your Bibles. Highlight and just start thinking of great things. All these verses teach you about God. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Now, I, I, Karen and I, I was like, Karen, we got to start a project. You know, let's do something. We haven't done anything together. Let's start a project. Here's the problem with my projects. I don't plan the project. Brilliant, isn't it? <laughs> like, let's just tear things up. And then I, like, but you didn't plan for that. I, I, I know. Then, then what do I end up asking myself? Why did I start this project? I don't have the greatness to do any plan by myself. Look at God. He speaks the heavens into existence. And we've got wise men and women running around looking in puddles for their, for, for their forefathers. Oh, I've got to find my forefather in the puddle. 
and by the breath of his mouth all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. The Lord nullifies the counsel of nations. He frustrates the plans of peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart from generation to generation. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people whom he has chosen for his own inheritance. That's your God. That great God is yours. He has known you. He has come to make his abode with you in the person of Jesus Christ. What do we say to this? Oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made, I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. Sing it with me, brothers and sisters. Then sings... My Sing it out, sing it out. Isn't he great? That's your God. It's the God who has revealed himself to us. He's not only great. Back in Isaiah 40, the incomparability of God. Back in Isaiah 40. Turn there quickly. Look in verse 18. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare him with? As for the idol, a craftsman cast it, a goldsmith plates it with gold, a silversmith fashions chains of silver. He who is too impoverished for such an offering selects a tree that does not rot. He seeks out for himself a skilled craftsman to prepare an idol that will not totter. What is he saying? We go out and worship things that we have to make with our own hands. Does that make any sense? And say, this is my God. You go out and get a piece of wood if, you're, if you don't have money and you shape and fashion it and you set it up as an idol in your house and, say, and bow before it and say, this is my God. God says, there is none to compare me to. There is none like me. First Chronicles 17, 20. Oh Lord, there is none like you, nor is there any God beside you according to all that we have heard with our ears. Psalm 86, 8, there is none like you among the gods, nor are there any works like yours. Psalm 89, verse 6, for who in the skies is comparable to the Lord? Who among the sons of the mighty is like the Lord? What's the answer to that question? None. Our God is completely incomparable. I, I, I so, and I did it as a kid, so did you. And when you compare God and you start to say, God, God's like the man upstairs. He's the man upstairs. That's not a fair comparison to God. Uh, you, you know, we would, some would call that kind of language idolatrous to try to compare God to the old grandfather type. That's not God. God is incomparable. There is none like God. That's what he's saying here in these verses. Let me keep running here. The authority of God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been declared to you from the beginning? Have you not understood? 
from the foundations of the earth. It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and the inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out, a tent like a tent to dwell in. He it is who reduces rulers to nothing and who makes judges of the earth meaningless. Scarcely have they been planted, scarcely have they been sown, scarcely has their stock taken root in the earth. But he merely blows on them and they wither, and the storm carries them away like stubble. What is that saying? That there's the authority of God that nothing can thwart his purpose. Isn't that what Joseph comes to the understanding to his brothers? You thought you were doing something, but God had a plan that you don't completely understand. You meant it for evil, but what? God meant it for good. The authority of God is over all things. And brothers and sisters, that's, a, that's easy for us to say now, but it's hard to proclaim the authority of God over all things, a.k.a. his sovereignty. There's not a Christian in here. We, most of you just said, we should do a little test here. You were excited. The greatness of God. God is great. He is powerful above all things. He controls all things. Amen. Something negative happens in your life. God's in control of all things. He's directing all things. Uh, well, um, well, what happened to what you just said about God? All authority is in his hands, good and bad, brothers and sisters. Oh, we don't like that part of sovereignty. Especially when negative things from our perception happens in our life. Grandma gets sick or bad things happen. How do we justify bad things, sin, and the goodness or the sovereignty of God? I'm not saying it's easy. It's very, very hard, very difficult. But God's authority is over everything, brothers and sisters. His authority is over your life. Nothing is going to happen to you that hasn't passed through God's wisdom first. Nothing. And that's hard. And I think about brothers and sisters that have gone on to be with the Lord who have had difficulties, physical difficulties as they left Surprising people who go to the hospital and don't come home. And brothers and sisters, I'd be lying to you if I sat up here as a pastor and didn't say I, I question God's sovereignty at times. I don't question it in the sense that I, I doubt it, but I surely admit I don't understand it. God, I don't understand why you did that to that person. I, I don't understand, Lord. Why them, Lord? Lord, they were serving you faithfully. Why would you do that with them? The Lord has given. The Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Sovereignty doesn't mean we completely understand it, brothers and sisters. But it does mean that we trust that he is in control. the providence of God in verses 25 and 26. To whom then will you liken me that I would be his equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created the stars, who leads forth their hosts by number and calls them all by name. Because of the greatness of his might and because the strength of his power, not one of them is missing. Now, I am not a person who looks up into the stars and does that. That's not my thing. I know 
Folks love that, looking at the stars. And man, there's this, are you going to stay up and watch this, this comet come by? Nope. I'll, <laughs> I'll see it on the news. That's fine with me. YouTube's working just fine at my house. It's just not my thing. Hey, did you see, you know, Orion was showing last night. What? I didn't know. What movie? What channel was that on? You know, that's what I'm going to say. I, don't, I have no idea what you're, it's not my thing. But from what I hear from these men and women, there are billions and billions of stars. Bill, I mean, uh, the, I don't think we even know how many galaxies they are for sure. God knows them all by name. He has named them all. Wrap your mind around that. I can't remember everybody's name in this church. <laughs> God knows them all by name. Isn't that amazing? And he is caring for them all. And he is caring for you. He is providentially controlling everything in your life. I love this from, anybody know who said this in Daniel 4? Pagan king, Nebuchadnezzar, after he's humbled, look at what he says, all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. At that time, who was he? The most powerful man on earth. But he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth. And no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what have you done? See, once you're humbled, once God has broken you and God reveals himself to you and you see him and come to know him in a more intimate way, you grow in your appreciation for him and you begin to say, you're the potter, I am the clay. I don't understand why you're doing what you're doing, but God, you have done it for your glory and it's working out for my good. I don't understand it. But your providential hand has brought this into my life right now. And brothers and sisters, I tell you this prophetically. It's just life. Bad stuff's going to happen in 2023. How do I know that? Because bad stuff happens every day. But God is providentially in control of it, and it's going to be okay because he is with us. Amen. I love this in 2 Chronicles. Do I have it for you? I don't. Uh, 2 Chronicles 16.9, For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. In other words, the Lord sees all. Coramdale. He understands all that is happening. Finally, you would think this great God, this great, wonderful Lord, oop, I'm moving too fast. This great, wonderful Lord would be too lofty that he's inaccessible. But look at verses 27 through the end of the chapter. Why do you say, O Jacob, and assert, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and justice do me escapes the notice of my God? Do you not know, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired? His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might, he increases power. The youths grow weary and tired. The vigorous young men stumble badly. Yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. This great and lofty God chooses to empower the people who trust in him. He comes to make himself known to them that they might be strengthened for the journey. He makes himself accessible to his people. From the greatest to the smallest, from the meanest to the loveliest, God's love shows itself strong in our lives time and time and time again as he gives us opportunity to know him. All right, I'm going to close with this. 
Five things. I'm going to go through these real quick. I'm not going to even highlight them like I probably should. Five things to say, because some of us are saying, hey, man, I already got this. I know God. I'm confident that I know God. I'm going to give you five tests that you should ask yourself. Now, here's the temptation. The temptation is to take these five things and look at your spouse. <laughs> or to look at others and say, I knew that they weren't following him. Ask yourself these questions. Number one, those who know God have great reverence for God. Where do we get that from? Proverbs says, right? Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Great reverence for God. We're awestruck by God. That's why, brothers and sisters, we should be bothered when we hear God's name taken in vain. That's why we shouldn't say OM. God's name should never be used like that. God's name is, he is high and lofty. He is the holy one. We shouldn't say his name like that. We, we ought to take careful consideration how we talk about God. We reverence him. It's number one. Number two, those who have come to know God have a great zeal for God. They have a great energy for God. And, and I don't mean you have to be excitable as, as, as you see your pastor in front of you. But what I do mean is that you talk about him. Have you ever been to a place or been around someone that really made an impact of your life? What do you tend to do? You tell others. You tell others about this thing or this person that has made a great impact on you. A great zeal for him is to talk about God. You want to know if you know God or you have an understanding, a, a vibrant relationship with God? What is your conversation filled with? Who do you talk about? Is it God? I, I, I met all sorts of people all the time and they talk about every other thing except God. We're in a, a, a crucial time for any guy, at least any sports fan. We're in a dangerous time right now. Super Bowl, college football, NBA basketball, college basketball. <gasps> There's a lot to talk about. Fleeting nonsense. God. Where is my zeal for him? Number three, those who know God have great thoughts of God. What do you think about God? You have great thoughts about God. As you consider him, as you meditate on who God is, as you drive in, it's, 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 it's amazing how stupid your pastor is. When I drive up North 7th, there's a hill. And I found that out because... Anyway, I had to walk to work one day because somebody took my keys. This person that lives with me, but I, I, won't, I, I, forgot, I forgot her name. Anyway, I had to walk to work, and I'm just like, man, I never knew this was so hilly. I, mean, I was huffing and puffing a little bit. But as I come up the hill, the sun's shining brightly, and I can't see. And you know, I'm just so thankful. I say, Lord, thank you so much for the brightness as I come up North 7th. I get angry. Like, Lord, I'm going to church. Can you at least, because I can't see. Like, Lord, can you at least let me see for a few moments? And it's really hard when there's snow and the glare. As opposed to saying, Lord, look at your glory shining before me. I get angry at the sun. How stupid is that? To get angry at the sun. Okay, Dave, oh, I'm, David, I'm so sorry. I have offended you. I'm going to go down just as you drive up the 30 seconds that you, I am so sorry you were inconvenienced for 30 seconds. 
How about just waking up saying, Lord, thank you for this weather. Thank you for what you've done. Got to have great thoughts of you. You're providential in all matters, whether it's rain, snow, or sleet, or sun. God, you're good. Number four, those who know God have great boldness for God. When you come to know God, you'll defend him with your life. Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. They knew God. And what do they say? Oh, king, we're not slow in what we're going to say. You can throw us in this fiery furnace, and we may die. But I'm not selling out my king. I, I, I am not going to denounce my God. There's a boldness for God. See, that part we lost in our world. We're afraid almost because we'll be mocked, we'll be laughed at. It's not a lot of defense for God. Last piece. Those who know God have great contentment in God. Is God enough for you? Is God enough? Or do you need more? Are you always looking for more? That can even happen in the religious life, by the way, right? I got to do more. I I, got to read more. I I, got to do this. Instead of just enjoying God and his goodness. God has given us the ability to, to rest and then to enjoy him. Do you enjoy? I mean, I wish we could really talk sometimes. Just, just take off the mics, take off jackets, and just talk. Man, do, are, you, are you as God's people enjoying him? I mean, is it good to be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and, and know God and be known of God? Is it good to you? Amen. I see so many Christians, it seems as if that's not true for them. I'm living a mundane existence, just plugging along. <sighs> Christopher Robin, where's my tail? <laughs> Dating myself, I know. Some of you have no idea. You'll be Googling Christopher Robin and tails. It's just really, really sad, brothers and sisters. It's not the existence God has called us to have when we have accessibility to him. All right, so let's close out here. This is us. Because some of you could say, well, this accessibility that God has given is only to Israel. No. Look at what he says to us. But you are a chosen race. Not a black race. Not a brown race. Not a white race. I ask you what race you are. I'm a chosen race. What racial class are you in? I'm in a chosen racial class. Chosen by the God above. A royal priest to the holy nation. A people for God's own possession. You're owned by God. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. For you were once not a people. You were once, we were once nobodies. But now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now... You have received mercy. That's the God who desires to make himself known to you. That is the God who is revealing himself as you're sitting here this morning and saying, this is who I am. This is my name. These are part of my attributes. Come, bow down, and worship me. I'm worthy. Let's pray. Who is like the Lord? No one. 
You are great. You are majestic. You are mighty, O God. There is none who has been so good to a people, whether it be Israel or the church. The true ecclesia, the true body of believers made up of every tribe and tongue all across this planet. That God has made himself known to, to a chosen people. And Father, for that, those of us who in this room who are part of that, say hallelujah, thank you. Holy is your name. Great and majestic are you, O God. For we were not seeking you, but you sought us. We were not looking to be adopted. We were not looking to be grafted in. Yet, you drug us in, you drew us into the kingdom for your glory, that your great grace and mercy might be put on display. Great are you, Lord. Have your way, Father, in our hearts. Challenge us to look up, to know God, to rest in him, to trust in him to proclaim him for your glory, O oh God, and your glory alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Those of you who may be visitors,